Hello, hello, hello. This is Speaking of Everything, recorded December 27th, 2020. The last technical step in putting the 2020 presidential election to bed will occur in just over a week, as long as Trump doesn't decide to lock himself in the Lincoln bedroom and hold his breath. On economic relief related to COVID, Donald Trump, or as we call him here, Orange Crush, finally did the right thing. The percentage of Americans who went into shock as a result is equal to the population of Cleveland. Speaking of Trump and the COVID bill, he could have made things really bad by using a rarely used provision of the Constitution. Fortunately, and obviously, he's never read the Constitution, but we'll explain the pocket veto. Spoiler alert, that's not what you do when you reject a shirt because it has no place to put your pens. Speaking of explanations, we'll talk about the fact that, watch out for this, the word Congress is inclusive of, but is not exclusive to, the House. Also, we'll talk about senatorial control and Hugo Chavez. And many people have chosen, even before COVID, to not fly commercially because of the negative environmental impact. If you're one of those people, we'll reveal how air travel may become entirely non-polluting. A couple of old songs have the word pardon in them, but they didn't contemplate 2020. Among those songs are Pardon Me Miss, I've Never Done This With A Real Live Girl, which makes you wonder about the habits of the lyricist, and Pardon Me Haven't We Met, but the most famous one is probably the oldest as well. Pardon Me Boy, is that the Chattanooga Choo Choo? Apparently the president has a fondness for those songs because he's using the word pardon quite a bit lately. Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea, welcome to Speaking of Everything with Jeff Bushman. That's me. We'll discuss those stories, and if there's time, we'll discuss this week in history, so stay with us. Among other things, we'll discuss the whole area of pardons in damn near boring detail, but you might find it interesting. First, however, we wanted to let you know that if you're hearing this other than where you get your podcasts normally, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever fine podcasts are given away. Also, not so fine podcasts. If you want to look up my podcast, just go into your podcast apps search function and enter the name Jeff Bushman. As an alternative, you can go to tjbsradio.com to hear this program and others that you otherwise are unlikely to run across. So drop by and tune in, but please don't drop out. Again, that's tjbsradio.com. We'll see you there. The new Congress will gather in the first week of January. One of its first duties, as you probably know, is to certify the Electoral College vote in favor of soon-to-be President Joe Biden. One of the new senators is Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. He beat Doug Jones after Tuberville defeated former Senator and Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Tuberville was assisted in his primary by a guy by the name of Trump who hated Jeff Sessions because Sessions followed the precedent and recused himself on the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. That set the stage for the appointment of Robert Mueller as what amounts to a special prosecutor. In any event, Tuberville clearly owes his new office to Trump. So to pay him back, when the Senate meets to confirm Biden, Tuberville will join with a House Republican to challenge that result. Then both houses will take a vote and Biden will be president. This will endear Tuberville to the Trumpettes and make everyone else believe that he's an asinine moron, although that may be unfair to asinine morons. 
Today is December 27th, and within the last couple of hours, the current White House occupant finally decided to sign the COVID relief bill that Congress had passed, which provides $600 to each person in the country who's not working. The Republicans refused to meet their own president's expressed preference for $2,000 per person. Not signing the bill until today has cost some people one unemployment check that, that they would have received if Trump had signed the law a few days ago. He could have created more chaos, however, if he had chosen a pocket veto. Most Americans are unfamiliar with this part of our Constitution, but a president has three choices with a bill sent to his or her desk for signature. He can sign the bill and it becomes law, or he can veto it, in which case it doesn't become law, but he can also do nothing, and after 10 days, not including Sundays, it becomes effectively vetoed. That's called a pocket veto. In this case, if Trump had vetoed the bill, Congress would have attempted an override, and most observers think they'd have done so. That takes a two-thirds vote of each House of Congress, but this bill was very popular and had been negotiated for a long time. So it's thought that even most members of the Republican Party, that's the Republic Party, would have voted to override. But by not doing a veto or a signature, if that had been his decision, the 10 days excluding Sundays would take us to January 4th, which would be after the new Congress is seated. In part, this gets me to one of my pet peeves, which we'll cover in a second. But more importantly, that means that everything would have to be passed all over with a slightly different composition of Congress. That could, that could have happened, but it's hard to know for sure. In the meantime, landlords and tenants would have been unclear about what the rights of each would be. By the way, when Congress convenes, the Senate will have a 50 to 48 Republic majority. Also, by the way, if you're wondering about the reference to the Republic Party, if that party and their friends on what Keith Olbermann used to refer to as Fox Noise can refer to the Democratic Party as a Democrat Party, I can refer to them as the Republic Party. About that pet peeve, I hear a lot of people refer to the Senate and Congress. Congress includes the Senate and the House of Representatives. So that expression is like saying the Senate and the Senate and the House. Senate and House or Congress are both fine phrasing, but Senate and Congress is not. And while we're on the subject, could we please get rid of the clumsy phrasing for members of the House as Congressman and Congresswoman? That's incredibly clunky and unnecessarily so. We don't refer to Senate man and Senate woman. How about Representative Adam Schiff or Representative Alexandria Cortez? Another benefit is that the language is a little less sexist. And I'm sure for a lot of people, that would be a primary benefit. But to me, it just helps, helps to clean up the mother tongue, the father tongue too, but I digress. Before we discuss pardons and other insanity, I'd like to invite you to amazon.com. If you go there, you can look up my latest book called You've Been Served about process serving. When you do go there, instead of doing your search in all departments, please go to books and then look up the title You've Been Served. Otherwise, you'll get all kinds of British TV shows and other unrelated things. So go to books and look up You've Been Served. Thanks. And now, now back to La Programa. Pardon me, boy. Is that the Chattanooga? <laughs> is that the Chattanooga Choo Choo? I can't pardon you, sir. You'll have to speak to the Prez. There are legal scholars who believe it wouldn't be in the constitutionally provided presidential pardoning power to pardon oneself. And that makes sense. Before I provide the illogic of allowing the president to pardon herself or himself, let me first say that in prior years, 
whenever anyone used to make an argument about the, what the Constitution means or how it should be interpreted, they would come up with an absurd idea that would be possible but so extremely unlikely as to be admittedly ridiculous. But because it would be possible, that example would support the arguer's interpretation. With the pre current president, no example is too absurd, unfortunately. So the example is that a president could, to use an off-cited example, murder someone in public view on Fifth Avenue in New York and then pardon himself. Clearly the framers didn't contemplate that and to allow that would be insane. But if that's not quite insane enough for you, imagine we have a president who's clinically insane. Granted, that's a big leap, <laughs> but imagine it. Let's also imagine it's a male to help me with my uh, pronoun, pronouns. Now imagine that instead of one murder on Fifth Avenue, the following scenario takes place. This insane president is removed from active duty by the vice president and a majority of the cabinet under the 25th Amendment. The crazy president gets ticked off and he takes an Uzi and kills the vice president and all of the members of the cabinet right before he leaves the White House for, to cite an absurd and impossible example, Florida. Could he then from Florida or on returning to DC pardon himself? That said, other than himself, the right to pardon anyone other than himself is a nearly absolute power of the president. The only reason it's not absolute is that if it's shown that the pardon was given in exchange for something of value, while the pardon would still be valid, the president after he left office and the person who gave something of value, knowing that the providing of that value was provided in exchange for the pardon or being considered for a pardon would be subject to prosecution for bribery and depending on the circumstance, the pres could also be charged with extortion. But the pardons would not be undone. There's no mechanism for that in the law or under the constitution. Now, here's what's interesting. These folks that Trump had has pardoned could testify against him in both the bribery extortion matter and any other matter for which those individuals were charged and convicted and or anything covered in the pardon. They always could, of course, but they wouldn't have and they have relied on the protection of the constitution's fifth amendment which gives each of us the right not to be compelled to testify if the answer to the questions asked would incriminate us. For example, I respectfully refuse to answer on the grounds that it may tend to incriminate me, right? Okay, but you can't incriminate yourself <clears throat> if you've been pardoned for the commission of the crime. If, for example, you've lied to the FBI, which is a felony, and you've been pardoned for that, and a lawyer asks you if you lied to the FBI to shield Trump, you can't refuse to testify based on the Fifth Amendment because you can't be prosecuted for something for which you've already been pardoned. And using my example, you can't claim that protection because of fear of state prosecution, because lying to the FBI or Congress or any federal police agency isn't a state crime. And with regard to any crimes any state could charge Trump with, and therefore any of his folks who've now been pardoned, the federal government has already pardoned them. So all that has to happen is that the state government gives them immunity. And then a refusal to testify is contempt of court and will bring a jail sentence. And Trump won't be around to pardon them for that even if he could. Cool, huh? One other big question. What if Manafort, for example, was convicted of crimes A, B, and C, but not crime D, which he could have been charged with, but wasn't? And assume further he was pardoned for those three crimes, but not the fourth. He could still be charged with crime D, convicted and imprisoned. Even if he weren't charged with that, but were threatened with it, we might find out a lot, of, a lot about Trump's crimes. 
Also in pardon news, <laughs> four men who worked for a company owned by the brother of Trump's Secretary of Education were convicted of murdering 17 innocent civilians in Iraq, including some children. My opinion is that this was the worst pardon of all from a moral viewpoint. Of course, it's arguable that Trump doesn't have a moral viewpoint, but those weren't people who were unjustly convicted or had sentences that were out of line with others who committed the same kind of crime. This was either a favor to Betsy's brother or just pardoning some guys who worked for a military contractor. Control of the Senate depends on what happens in Georgia on January 5th. As you likely know, that's the date of the Georgia runoff elections for two seats in the US Senate. A number of nutcase republics, and in this rare case, that's not a tautology, have urged republic voters to not vote because the voting machines have been rigged by Hugo Chavez, the dead president of Venezuela. I hope all of their voters take that suggestion, but that seems unlikely. The one thing that could help the Democratic candidates is that Trump is going to Georgia the day before to support the members of the GOP. On the energy front, we might be able to change airplanes from polluters to net zero energy users. Researchers at Oxford University have developed a way to turn carbon dioxide, which is a major greenhouse gas, into jet fuel. What that means in part is that when CO2 has been captured, you could use it for jet fuel. And the worst case scenario is that it releases no more of the stuff than they used from CO2 captured by industry. Other than the first supply of CO2, assuming the production could be done by electric or other low pollution methods, the amount of pollution and greenhouse gas production for which airlines would be responsible would be zero. Once COVID is in our rearview mirror, that would mean a lot less guilt about commercial air travel. Anyway, that wraps up this session of Speaking of Everything. Thanks for joining us. In whatever podcast app you're hearing this, please subscribe so you don't miss later episodes. Meanwhile, please be kind to each other and for sure, don't go away mad. Ta-ta for now.